Well, why don't we begin with a prayer? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, I thank and praise you for every single person here. Their openness to your Son's love for them, and their desire to grow in him, and to share him with others. In a special way, I ask that your Holy Spirit fall down upon them and fill them. And may they journey with Joseph and Mary to know the sweetness of Christ in a new way today. And may their, may their desire to grow in their knowledge of the word of God and share his word with others increase abundantly today. And I ask all this through the intercession of Our Lady as we all pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Make all these prayers in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. It's a, again a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. Last week at the Newman Center, as I was introduced, we had our, our ugly sweater party. Um, and because I'm so prompt and responsible, I ordered mine on Monday. And it didn't arrive until Saturday, so I came late, and this is what it looks like. So I have a llama with glasses on. Um, it has nothing to do with my talk, but I'm going to wear it. Um, because also, it's finals week at the Newman Center, and the students are stressed. So I, I've been wearing this one every day, or I have one with Baby Yoda on it. So... <laughs> Just to keep the uh, just to keep the the mood light, right? So as, as we get stressed out, sometimes we forget the importance of having fun, which I'm not the best at, but I'm trying um, in that. Um, so my goal today is to do something uh, with you all that I think you're all going to be like, no way. Um, but if we know that the scriptures, we know that, that the Word of God says a few times, nothing is impossible with God. Right? And I want to present to you kind of what what's going on in our world, what's going on in our church, and why we must. We must do what I tell you to do. <laughs> so, um, good luck for me. Thank you for your prayers. Um, so I just want to maybe just rewind back a few years. And I think even as we've gone into this pandemic time, um, a veil is being lifted to what we already know. And it's just like there's no more playing games. It's just very real of what's going on right now. So maybe you remember back in like the year 2018 when there was this Pew Research study. And it said as far as practicing Catholics go, only 33% believe in the true presence. That's practicing Catholics. And those who are 40 and under, it's only 20% believe in the true presence. That's like the, the core, the heart of what we believe. I remember hearing that, and like right after that, like another scandal broke out, right? I was like, oh, wonderful. Thank you for the double dose of sadness and just disgust uh, with kind of the state of the church. There's also a statistic that's out there right now that says by the age of 23... Only 17% of confirmed Catholics associate themselves with the Catholic Church. So it almost seems to me, and this is just my pondering, I have a really strange mind, but it seems to me that we go up to somebody like, do you have a pulse? Yes. Your parents drop you off on Wednesday? Yes. Okay, let's confirm that. So it has nothing to do with actually being in a relationship with the living person of Jesus Christ, right? And, and knowing how good the good news is. Like, it should overwhelm us. That our God, who created everything, went to war with sin and death to win you and I back to be in a relationship with the Father. So we can know our identity as sons and daughters, right? That he, he's willing to go those lengths for us, right? And that must give us a response. But for some reason, people are not responding. There's also another statistic out there that says right now, the generation Gen Z, who are about basically anybody who's like 24 and under-ish around that area, 
age. Uh, there's a new documentary called The Search. You can check it out. It's really, really good. But it says that their generation is the most depressed and anxious generation to ever exist. Ever. <laughs> also the most anti-God or unknowing of who God is, especially the Christian God. In the past year, opioid overdose deaths, according to CNN, have increased by 30%. And they're already abysmal, right? Their, their numbers are, are surpassing COVID, and it had been surpassing COVID. And just to let you know a little bit about my family, one of my cousins did indeed overdose and die of an opioid, right? So it's very near and dear to my family. For the first time in 20 years, CNN also said that cigarette and nicotine, nicotine sales actually increased this past year. So that means people are trying to fill themselves with something. And we don't seem to know the exact reason why, but suicide rates have just been going up every single year. And maybe that's affected your family. I'm not trying to like say something's wrong with you. But there's got to be a, a desire in us to actually grow and say we have to find a solution, a compelling argument, how to help people. Like if I had, before the vaccine came out, if I had the vaccine in my back pocket for nine months and everyone just sitting out here worried, going on crazy with this pandemic, you would all be like angry at me that I never told you I had the vaccine. But the thing is, as Christians, we do. It's the blood of Jesus. Done. <laughs> and the Lord gives that to us, right? Especially in the Holy Eucharist. That is what helps us. And we're covered in that blood, especially when we go to, go to confession. And there's another statistic about confession is that only 2% of practicing Catholics go to confession habitually. 2%. Sometimes you wonder why is our church the way it is. I would say one major reason why our church is in the state it is is because we're just not practicing our faith. And I would say once a year is a minimum. Some people don't even know that the church says at least one time a year you go to confession. I would say with the way the world is, every two, every two weeks to at least once a month, we need to be just going to the sacrament to get grace because it's hard out there right now, is it not, right? So we have to know that. There's also another statistic out there that actually people are losing the will to live. The average age of death via alcoholism is 35. If you want to know one of the saddest things with the Green Bay Packers is that when they lose... Maybe you know this, but domestic abuse charges go up to 80-90%. These are called idols. And I'm not trying to like make you like devastated or anything like that, but we have to do something, right? I would say we even must do something. And here's one that I heard, but I don't have any like CNN or Pew Research studies, but I, I think it's probably true. In the past 20 years, 75% of Catholics have completely left the church. Hence, why you look at the pews and you're wondering where are they, right? But I think because we've just kind of like had this mediocrity, um, this lukewarmness in our faith, we're not willing to challenge people, of course, with charity and compassion, right? But we have to, we have the, if we have a solution to their problems, we have to be persistent and we have to say, what are we going to do, right? What are we going to do about this? And I would say, we also have to know that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. So maybe we could just rewind back to maybe you went to, I don't know if you went to Mass on, the 30th of November, which is the feast day of St. Andrew. That's my middle name, so now you know that. Um, but the, the St. Andrew on that day, it's the call of our first apostles, the foundation stones of our faith, right? And Jesus is walking up the Sea of Galilee. And he sees Peter and Andrew, right? And James and John. And the church fathers have said these four men represented the four cardinal virtues 
Peter being Prudence, right? James, and, uh, Andrew, and John, right? I don't know the other three where they got, but St. Thomas Aquinas talks about it, right? And sometimes you wonder, how could Peter have prudence as a cardinal virtue? So cardinal virtues, these are the virtues that you and I need to be holy, right? We can't be holy without virtue. And I think it's because he had to think things through if he was going to really give his life to Christ, what that would mean, right? And as this chronologically goes through this, this is the third time that Peter would have encountered the living person of Jesus Christ. The church fathers just say when, when, when Jesus is walking along the shore, this would have been, again, the third time. So the first time he encountered Jesus, it would be a call as an acquaintance. He's some guy. Jesus is just some guy. The third call is the discipleship, you know, to follow him, to keep your eyes on him and never take your eyes off him. And the third one is to actually adhere yourself to him, to become one with him. That means you've got to get really close to him. So Jesus, when he says, come, follow me, he calls them out of their boats, but what does he catch them with? They're, they're mending their nets, right? They're using their nets to catch fish. What catches them? It's his word. It's the word of God that catches our first apostles. And that word has the ability to make the impossible now possible, right? So I just want to ask you, what I want to propose as my challenge for each of you. I want to challenge each of you to start a Bible study. And I'm going to give you the easiest format that I've ever learned. It's the same one that I use. But I'm going to give you a format, and we're going to practice it. Because one thing that we don't do well as Catholics is we don't activate our faith. One of my favorite priests, by the time he finishes preaching, at the end of his homily, says, you get it? You got it? You're going to do it? And everyone's like, yes, right? But how often do we take what we take at Mass or homily or some type of challenge and do we actually go live it? My brother Nathan just sent me something last night, uh, a message, on something that's really cool about these different scripture messages and it had different things about what we believe. And I said, love it. And I said, now go live it, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to post. It's one thing to talk about it. But are we actually doing our faith? Are we living our faith? And the thing is, it's actually not that hard. Because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the saints, right? And the Lord gives you his spirit. He's so willing to help us. What we have to do is get out of the way and stop thinking about ourselves so much and start thinking like this. What would happen to your parish or to your community if you started a Bible study in five years? And what would it look like in five years? What could that look like? What lives could be transformed? These people who are addicted to opioids, these people who are dying of suicide, these people who are literally losing the will to live. Right? We don't know the state of Peter, James, John, and Andrew, right? We don't know, but you can only imagine what their state of life might have been. They might have been having those things like, this is the last time, and then I'm going to end it. We don't know that. What we do know is that the word of God transformed their hearts, and they, they couldn't turn away from it anymore. It was so compelling, right? Again, the Lord is incredibly patient with them, right? As they get to know him, they start giving their hearts to him more and more. And we're so blessed to have the word of God before us. It's so easy to just open it. That's at the first step of, of starting a Bible study, is opening the word of God, right? And then to rely upon the Holy Spirit, and then to take these four steps I'm going to give you, and I'll give you a handout afterwards, and you can do this. This is not meant to be something as a a, a challenge of, like, unattainable. But what it's meant to be 
It's to provide you some guideposts because I think some, so often we ask ourselves, how do I know if I'm doing right? Am, am I making a difference, right? So when, when someone leads a Bible study, this is how I, I lead my Bible study, by the way. The first thing I do is I call it a beginner's Bible study, Whew, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and what, what the word beginner does, what it helps you with, you call anything a beginner, like we do beginner workouts or whatever it is, it's like maybe I can actually do that, right? So the first thing I'd encourage you is, is to say, I'm going to call it a beginner's Bible study for women, or a beginner's Bible study for men. One thing that we do at the Newman Center is we don't, inter- we don't encourage so often um, male and female Bible studies, just because of openness, just because of also just to make people feel comfortable. Um, I do, I'm the only one at the Newman Center who does one with men and women, because I'm doing also people who are almost now half my age, right? So it's, there's a little more freedom there. But as far as a woman leading the Bible study of women, it seems to be more comfortable. We just found that to work. Um, you can try it with, with, with both genders, but I would not encourage that to begin with, okay? So the first thing is calling it a beginner's Bible study. And the other thing is, uh, you, it'd be important to, to go out of your way to, to be, provide a Bible for them. So the cool thing is, um, there's this catalog called Autumn, and they sell Bibles for $2.50, right? So you can say, I'll provide that for you. And the reason why it's important to have the same Bible for everyone is so translations are the same. Because sometimes one or two words are a little bit different and that throws people off a little bit. That's not saying people can't bring their own Bible, but we just find that just to be a little, a little, a little bit helpful. Um, most people when they arrive, they are really nervous, right? When they come, and I'm not saying if they come, when they come, they are so nervous. So often when you and I get nervous and we, we, we're getting stretched with stress, right? Not that anybody here before Christmas is like that, but you know, how, you know what I'm saying, right? So like they're, they're stressed. What do we forget to do? Breathe, right? So I want to just take a deep breath. You're going to have to do that a lot with people. Not in frustration, right? But just to make sure that even you are take, taking time to breathe, right? No, yeah, that's, that's, that's how the Holy Spirit works is the breath of God, right? And often when I'm with my students, especially, I know it's getting more and more and more busy, we slow things down. The temptation is to go faster, but the spiritual life is the opposite of what the world wants you to do. It's to slow down. Also, it's important to know that at a Bible study, no one's ever forced to share. You kind of set these rules up ahead of time. No one is forced to share. Okay? That's important that you respect people's Ability to speak because it might take five, six, seven, eight Bible studies before they even open their mouth, right? And that's not your fault, okay? Sometimes we think in that moment, is something wrong with me? No, nothing's wrong with you. The thing is, it's just that this might be very new territory for people. People are afraid of making mistakes, right? We want to be perfect, but the thing is, you can't fail if you never try, right? So the important thing is that you be patient with people and to know it, it takes time, right? It takes a lot of time. We, we live in this culture of microwave, instant results, instant gratification, and guess what? That's not even reality. Often, most people, when they first start talking in our Bible studies, it might be their fourth or fifth time coming. Because they don't know anyone. There might be new faces. If you know people, they'll talk quick, more quickly. That's very normal. But it's just important to be very aware of how much of a leap this might be for some people. So it's also important to be very gracious for those people who come. Be very gracious. Be very gracious for them coming and always encourage them to come next week and let them know what time it is. And then the last thing is always start and end at the same time. It's super important to be respectful 
of other people's priorities. You can always say you can stay longer if you want, depending on where you're at and what you have going on, right? But in general, my mine are 45 minutes long. And it's not like we just open scripture the whole time, but that's just, that's kind of like how we found a, a good template. And they can stay longer if they want to. They have a, they have a freedom because as soon as you kind of stronghold them and you make them stay, they're like, I don't want to be a part of this, right? I don't want to be a part of this. And also, it's important as what's said in your small group or your, your Bible study stays there, right? So if, if your Bible study becomes a gossip chain, it's done. It's done. No one wants to be a part of a gossip chain. Never gossip in Bible study. Do your best to zip your lips. The, the devil will want that to happen right away. Oh my gosh, did you hear what they said? Don't. <laughs> and also... Some people just need more one-on-one time outside of Bible study, right? So someone might bring something up in a Bible study and they say things like, oh my gosh, um, I'm having a really hard time. And it kind of like can steer the Bible study a little bit off course. And the important thing is to say, hey, I'd love to talk with you about that outside of Bible study. But let's get back to this, right? Your Bible study will grow more and more by what you do outside of it. Same thing with the church, the Mass. The more things you do outside of Mass will enhance the Mass, right? This all goes... In, in light of what we're called to do as Catholics. And over time, again, it'll grow, which is the important thing. So as what I recommend and what I do in my Bible study is we just look at one of the Sunday readings. Very simple. You can go on the USCCB website. You can go on anything you want to and go there. And what we do is we, we first begin by just starting with highs and lows of the people. Let's go around the circle. Um, you know, what was a high or a low for you this week? And what that does is for you as a Bible study leader, it helps you understand where, where people are at. What's going well, what's been good, what's been difficult. And also we say, have you had a God moment? A God moment is when they, they experience God in their day. And by sharing, little by little, people will understand what that means. That usually takes 10, 15 minutes, right, to go around. And sometimes that might be your whole Bible study. Because <gasps> you didn't open the Word. That's okay. It's not about just shoving the word of God down people's throats. It's about helping them know that you love them and that the Lord loves them, right? So we do that. And then once we get to the word, I just tell people, let's just take our time. So I'll say this is, and the reason why also using the same Bible is helpful, you can say turn to page dot, 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 right? 754, whatever. And then everyone has time to, to go through that. And I wait till everyone has their Bible open, Right? The first thing I do when, I, when, we, when we go through the Bible study, I'll read it. And what we're doing is a style called Lexio Divina. It's a, it's, a, it's a divine reading started by the Benedictines. Long story short, right? But when I read it, what I'll say is, I want you just to focus on one word that stands out to you. And we'll pause. And after a minute or two, I want you to share that one word. This is obedience. For some people, they'll show share seven. And as a leader, you'd say, <laughs> one word. It's so hard for some people to do that. But we have to make sure that we form this habit, and they'll get used to it, right? So it's important to know that one word. And then after, and as they think of that one word, and they're looking at the word, we have like two or three minutes of silence. And people need silence. Pope Benedict Emeritus says the first language of God is silence. And that's okay. The second thing we'll do after they share that one word, we'll read it again. And I'll ask you, I'll say, what's one phrase that stood out to you? Maybe three to five words, right? While they're just focusing on that one word, what's a phrase that stood out to you? What we're not doing here is we're not explaining why these words stood out to us. That's why we're just focusing on one word and one phrase. 
And that, that's, that's just the way of reading. Just what does the word say? What does the word say? Okay? And then two or three minutes of silence. And then, after that, we'll read it. They'll share that phrase, and then we'll read, and we'll say, I'll ask the question, now what might God be trying to say to you with that one phrase and that one word in your mind and in your heart? With what's going on in your life? And that's usually where the high-low moments kind of go on, right? And, they, they, and you're aware of that. And it's just, what might God be trying to say to you with what's, what's going on in your life? And who, who's, who in here is not looking for direction when things are difficult, right? The Word of God speaks to our hearts. The Word of God is made for our hearts, just like it was made for Mary's heart. It's made for your heart and my heart. And again, they only have to share if they're comfortable. Most people will share. It's not very, you're not asking to do rocket science here. But, because they might not even believe in God yet, right? See, sometimes I'll even say, depending on where I'm at with my Bible study, my beginner's Bible study, I'll say, you know, if you believe in God or not, like, what do you think he might be trying to say to you? And then I'll read it again, and we'll take two or three minutes of silence, two or three minutes of silence, and then um, we'll have a discussion. And my job is just to keep the ball moving. And if somebody's talking too much, I just put a hand up, like, I, that's great. I love hearing that. I know what I'm doing here, right? I'm giving a verbal signal without saying, would you shut up does not work, right? <laughs> so I say, that's great. I, I, I really like what you're saying, but I haven't heard from Joe in a while, right? And I, and I turn it, right? And then people have the freedom to speak. And if, if I get to the fourth step, I'll ask them, what might God be asking you to do with that one phrase, that one word, and what you think he's talking to you with, what's going on in your life? Because the one thing is, that Pope Benedict always said too, when it comes to Lexia Divina, it's praying with scripture, he said the word of God is done, Lexia Divina is done, once it comes up into our mind, and out of our mouth, and out of our hands and our feet. Which, by the way, it's never exhausted, right? Because we're not perfected yet. Maybe Blessed Mother didn't have to do Lexia Divina, but you and I do, right? <laughs> and then at the end, you know how we, you can do a simple prayer like we do petitions at Mass, you can say, well, as we close, I just want to say thank you for coming. Um, I'm just going to open it up for anybody who would like prayer. And you can say, this is how we do this. We're just going to call, ask for the Holy Spirit to be here. Come, Holy Spirit. And if anybody would like to offer a prayer for themselves or for other people, just do it like this. Lord, I ask for prayers for so-and-so. And then you say, we end with the words, we pray to the Lord. And you know how it goes, Lord, hear our prayer, right? And when you get in the habit of that after a while, what the thing is, you should be listening as a Bible study leader. They just said their grandma's sick. So next week, when they come, you should say, I've been praying for your grandma. How's she doing? Or you pull them aside after Bible study saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's going on. Like, are you okay? And when they know that you care for them, your Bible study will take off. Right? And think of what that could be like after five years of doing that. What your parish community could look like after five, five, five years of doing that or ten years of doing that. Or maybe you are doing that and you've seen it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But this is a simple thing. I read the word. One word. I read the word, a phrase. I read the word, what do you think God might be trying to say to you? I read the word, what do you think God is asking you to do? And it's, again, the point is not to get through all this. The point of the word is to get, is get the love of God through them and you to be an instrument of God's peace. And we, ha- we, we must do this. I'm convinced that we must do this. I was praying and the Lord said we have to do this. We must Think of how your experience at Mass, how much more full it would be if you actually knew what their readings were. So we're going to do a version of this. We're, we're just going to do the first two steps today, okay? And I have on here everything I just told you, and I also have Sunday's Gospel on the back as well. 
And I have some discussion questions that you could bring into your first Bible study. So if someone came to my first Bible study, I would ask them, before we get into any main things, I would say, well, what brought you here today? It's a really simple question to ask, but people will talk, right? Oh, my mom made me, right? Probably not. Oh. <laughs> also, like, what are, you, what are you excited about with starting a Bible study? So maybe you're already in one, and you're seeing, like, yeah, like, people are suffering, and we must help them, right? Or maybe the question is, what are you fearful or nervous about in starting a beginner's Bible study? Or if someone's coming to my first Bible study, it's like, what are you nervous about as we begin? Just to, like, let the air breathe, right? And if they are, if they are nervous, it's really important to say, that's normal to feel that way. I mean, say, I remember my first time I went to a Bible study or the first time I went to this. That is very normal. When you tell people things are normal, when they actually are normal, it makes them feel normal, right? <laughs> <laughs> and one question I ask people, because sometimes I'll go through the history of the Bible with people and where it came from and whatever. A lot of people don't know that this, having a physical Bible, this is my, my, my big one um, from Scott Hahn. Uh, this is just the New Testament, but like a lot of people don't know that this is new. Like, actually, owning one and being able to read it is a very new thing. For all, basically the first 1,950 years of Christianity, most people couldn't read. So when I bring that question up, I'll say, if you if you are going to try to help people understand Scripture, understand the, the, the plan of salvation, and you didn't and they couldn't read, how would you do it? Would you use art, right? Stained glass windows? Storytelling, music, personal experience. What would you use? Because what good would a Bible be if people couldn't read it, right? But we do have literacy now. Literacy now. Most people can read. They might not comprehend everything, but that's that's where it's at. And I usually recommend starting with the Gospels or the Psalms, right? Those are two easy ones um, to start with. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read this Sunday's gospel, and I want you all to focus on one word. Right? <laughs> I know it's hard. Right? And you can imagine what it looked like. You've heard this story before. This is the story of Mary after the Annunciation going to her cousin Elizabeth. right? So if you want to close your eyes, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Maybe just imagine yourself with a group of people, and you're, you're doing what I'm doing. Focusing again on one word. And as you're doing this, I always encourage you to just take deep breaths. Okay? Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. So we're going to take 30 seconds of silence and focus on what was that one word and just let it rest upon the altar of our hearts.
And then I'm just going to ask you at your tables, just to share with the people sitting with you, what was that one word? Okay? It should take about 15, 20 seconds. of obedience here. Okay, so it was just to share one word, okay? I, I know you're excited. You got the, probably got the one word. Again, we're just letting that word rest upon us. I'm going to read this one more time. And now we're going to try to focus on a phrase, right? A phrase is three to five words. It may include that word. That is okay that you already have. But again, we're just letting the word rest upon us. The thing that we, we want to do as quickly as possible is wrestle. But we're not doing that yet. That's more when we get to the third step. This is just important to let the word rest upon us. So I'm going to read this one more time. And just hold, hold that one word in your heart um, as we begin the second reading of this gospel. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste, to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. So I'm going to take 30 seconds just to let a phrase rest upon our hearts with that one word. So the last thing I ask you to do again, to share what was your one word, and to share what was that one phrase. And just take time to listen to each person say that. Again, we're not explaining why we have those things, or not really doing too much. It's just, again, letting it rest. We're not wrestling yet, okay? So why don't we just take uh, 30 seconds, go around your table, and explain, and just say, I'm going to explain. Go over what was that one word and that one phrase for you.
as we as we close, um, I just want to share a brief story with you, um, maybe to help you understand that you can actually do this, right? So the question is, I don't know if I can actually do this. Um, maybe you've heard of a man named Jan Tarnowski. Has anybody heard of the name Jan Tarnowski? One person, right? So in Poland, there was a gentleman named Jan Tarnowski, and during the Nazi regime, he started a thing he felt really prompted by the Holy Spirit when it seemed like there was no hope. He started this thing called the Living Rosary. Maybe you've heard of Living Rosary before. And as he, he began to start this Living Rosary, he felt specifically called to mentor men because they were being boyish, right? We see that a lot today. They're in this childish state. But he felt compelled, right? He felt very compelled. And as he started this process of inviting young men to come to this Living Rosary group, the numbers were abysmal. And he almost thought of quitting. But as he did this, he didn't know who he was investing in and what their life's track would be, but he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit, not even knowing, right? One of the men sitting in that group was Carol Wojtyla, who became later, now, Pope St. John Paul II, right? So you never know who is in the group. What you're called to do is catch them with the word without counting the cost. It is so hard. We always try to count the cost, but the Lord says, no, 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 no. That's my job, right? We have to know what the Lord knows, and he might give you people to invite, and they might say no. But what does our bishop say? Seven invites before you stop inviting them. But don't do like seven in a row. That's just annoying, right? <laughs> but just take time and pray, especially at Mass. When you go to Mass, say, Lord, who should I invite? Especially when the, when the, when the priest is offering the body and blood of Jesus to the Father. Right? And that's when you want to have convict, conviction of the names. But he also might give you some wild cards. Like, look at the apostles. Like, are you kidding me? Some of these guys, right? But when you look at them, that's like how you and I should be too. Like, the Lord took chances on them. He took risks. Another word for the word risk is faith, right? He believed in them. And you and I just received the body and blood of Jesus. He believes in you, right? He trusts you. St. Teresa Cucutta would often say, I know the Lord trusts me. I wish he didn't trust me so much, right? <laughs> so this is not on you. But you and I will have to answer someday, what did you do about those abysmal numbers? What did you do about it? Did you just complain and talk at them? Or did you put some skin in the game and take some risks? But I guarantee you, you will start changing those numbers if you respond. That's what we're not doing as a church. And the last thing I want to say is I would encourage you you don't have to do it at church. Most people, if you invite them, say, hey, we're in a Bible study in the church basement, instant NL. Because they don't think they belong there. So I wouldn't recommend starting there. Coffee shops are great. Homes are great. Right? Places that are very neutral are great. We have to really expand outside of our church walls because, again, you guys are the church. The church is only church when you're inside of it. I don't know if you know that or not, and people are actually in it. So we're kind of like a quarter of church right now sometimes, it feels like, right? But what if when you go to Mass, you're praying, maybe this is the only time I ever encourage you, sit in the back, and you're looking for who's walking in, and you're thinking, who could I invite? And you don't have to know them, because who knows them? The Lord knows them. 
The thing is that we have to begin to start having hope and asking that question again. What if in five years, or the next five years, we actually did this, and what could it look like? Right? What fruit could be born? And I don't mean like numbers. I mean fruits of the Spirit, joy, peace, humility, right? Calmness. Who doesn't want more peace, right? Remember, it's our Lord who came to us in the Incarnation. It's our Lord who comes to us in the Holy Eucharist. Our Lord who comes to us through the Holy Scriptures. And I hope that doesn't seem too intimidating, but it's really important that you must take chances. The numbers are awful and scary, but the light of Christ can shine through any darkness. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That as things get darker, the light of Christ is growing. And if you can do those four steps, it's not very hard. One word, right? One phrase. What do you think God wants to say, to say to you? What do you think God wants you to do? And you just let the Holy Spirit breathe? Like, that's not that hard. When I heard about this, I was like, I could do that. Like, that's not, I could even have a sheet of paper in front of me the whole time. And that's okay. You can have the sheet of paper in front of you. I'm going to hand them out to you as you leave. But to know that you can do this. You can do this. You've been, most of you have been confirmed, I assume, right? You have the sacraments. Now I've got to go activate them. It's one thing we're not doing so hot on in the Catholic Church. We're not activating our faith. We hear it, and then we just don't do it, right? And if the word of God caught, right, if the word of God caught the first apostles in the middle of their busyness, in the middle of their whatever, it can definitely catch more souls, right? And when you and I die, this is always what motivates me the most, when you and I die, the Lord's going to ask you, so, who'd you bring with you, right? Who did you bring with you? And you should be able to look back saying, I don't know if I brought them with me, but I helped drag them sometimes, right? <laughs> just as the Lord dragged Peter, James, and John at the mountain. But that is an effort worth exhibiting effort into. Right? To give, take a chance and take a risk. So what I want to do is I just want to close and give you a blessing, right? So I'd be doubt creeping in. I'd be fear of rejection creeping in or past experience of trying some of this and it didn't go so hot. I just want to smash all those with a cross right now, right? Because <laughs> the Lord needs us, right? These numbers, we can't keep doing it. I can't stand it. They have a pulse, let's confirm them. I don't, I don't like it any more than you probably do, right? See them confirmed and never come back. First communion, never come back. First confessions, never come back. So if they're not coming back, why don't we go get them and do something other than mass right now, do something other than sacraments and then eventually get them there and make little changes. Little changes. 45 minutes a week is less than 1% of the week. Can you give the Lord at least 1%? So let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody coming here. As St. Joseph took a risk in faith to be with Mary and Jesus, I ask for his prayers to send forth a spirit of sweetness upon everybody here for the word of God and their own faith in Jesus. And if there are any evil spirits oppressing you of fear, of doubt, of rejection, of anything that is dark and not of God, through the authority of my priesthood, the authority of the church, and in the name of Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the most precious blood of Jesus, I lift it off of you and I send it to the foot of the cross for Jesus to deal with it as he wills. And I ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for a spirit of life, a spirit of joy, a spirit of peace, 
a spirit of courage, a spirit of hope, a spirit of power of the gospel, a spirit of humility and docility to fall upon you, to share this life-changing word wherever you go. And Mother Mary, we ask for your prayers, and all you holy angels and saints, we ask for your prayers that the word of God may catch us and captivate us in a new way, especially as we head into the year 2022. And may Almighty God bless you and commission you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.